0: History shows America rises to every challenge it faces. Every challenge makes us stronger. We're Americans. We find a way. At Kaufman Funeral Home, we give thanks to God for living in the greatest nation on earth. Take comfort in knowing when you need us, we'll be here for you. We'll put your family's needs first. Kaufman Funeral Home and Crematory. Frontier Drive in Stanton. Online at KaufmanFuneralHome.net.
1: You're listening to the Biohazard Declassified Podcast. Hello,
2: everyone. Andy and the BHD team here. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Biohazard Declassified Podcast. No, 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 warning, spoilers ahead. Resident Evil Village has been out a week now. We've really, really enjoyed it. And we would love to speak in depth about uh, the intricacies of the story. And the outcomes of Resident Evil Village. So if you're watching this and you haven't played it and you still want to play it, please, please, please turn away.
1: We, we will now begin. Gentlemen, what did we think of Resident Evil Village overall?
0: Probably one of the best games Capcom in general has put out in quite some time. Like I was a... You know, obviously a big fan of the remakes as a big fan of Devil May Cry 5, but I think Village took the cake over all of them so far. At least as far as RE Engine games go, a almost perfect game, 9.5 9. out of 10 for me.
2: you, Matthew, Matthew?
3: Yeah, I'm right there with him. I mean, honestly, the expectations were high for this and it literally shattered those for me. This game was a masterpiece. I was in love with it. I'd honestly say 10 out of 10 for me probably my second favorite game at this moment.
2: Without, without a doubt, a game of the year contender. Oh,
1: absolutely.
2: I, I personally think, and I, I spoke about this on my streams, that we are very lucky that this did not come out in the same year as Last of Us because I think we would have seen a huge miscarriage of uh, misca- miscarriage of justice, really. Um, I really feel like Last of Us may, may have gotten the edge of Resident Evil Village and that would have been Massive shame, but I, I had a great time playing Resident Evil Village. Um, I feel like it's, it's got a ton of re- replayability still. Um, there were still people complaining about the length of the, of the campaign, but I thought, I mean, I finished it in about nine hours or so. I was watching everything. I was picking all the files up and everything. Um, I, thought, I definitely thought I got my money's worth, and there's still more for me to do. There's uh, obviously the mercenary mode. And, uh, obviously, and unlocking everything. And I'm so happy that brought all of that back. Um, let's start off with the story. We're, we're, we're pick, picking up the reins of Ethan Winters once again, except now we've been moved to Romania. How Jesse, when you initially started playing, again, it's a little bit twisted because we kind of knew going into it what was going to happen initially. But how did you feel playing that for the first time? Chris it that same How much?
1: Yeah, you know, you know it, it's
0: one thing, and this is like on the leak, it, like leak and rumor following side of things, where it's really interesting. Like you know, certain things are going to happen before they happen. Like we heard about Ethan, or excuse me, Mia getting shot by Chris, like all the way back in like September of 2019. Um, and then you know when the first trailers came out, like to see it. And then to ex, you know, play it is three different experiences. Like, it's one thing to hear about it, it's one thing to see it, and then it's a whole other thing being in that moment. And just like I said, uh, being on a almost three year long journey to get to that point from just hearing whispers and murmurs about it to seeing snippets of it, you know, being shown, then to finally sit there, controller, mouse, and keyboard in hand, and actually play it was just it was honestly, it was a breathtaking scene to watch, like in its entirety, and you know, like you say, it was just a really wonderful experience to finally see that play out and get the the story surrounding it all the way to the end of it.
2: What What about yourself, Matt? What, what was your initial feeling of uh, sort of an evil Chris Redfield? We've never seen an evil Chris Redfield canonically. Have seen him briefly. Revelations 2, E3 trailer, but we haven't seen real Evil, Chris Redfield. What were your thoughts uh, watching this scene and playing as he?
3: So I think when I first heard the rumors and information as well, I was very shocked. I mean, from the beginning of the franchise, Chris has always been a lead character, a good hearted, you know, soldier boy character that'll do anything he can to do the right thing for people and to help. Um, To see Chris in a situation where we really don't know his full intentions, to see him on the darker side or the other side of the coin, you know, I mean, just like Jesse said, you know, we had the rumors, we saw the trailer, but once you have the controller in your hand and you're behind Ethan's eyes and you get to witness this, it just really paints a picture for what you think Chris is going to be doing in this game. I mean, we've never had him go out on a limb before. We've never had him do drastic, you know, things to set things right, especially if it involved hurting the other characters. So it was almost like we had a whole new character to deal with and without spoiling or getting into it until we get to that conversation, you know, we got to see portions of Chris evolve throughout previous games. And then we just get thrown into this whole new mood, whole new character. We have no idea what's going on. We don't know the backstory. We don't know how long it's been since he saw Chris from seven. We didn't know what Chris was going to do.
2: So I was a little shocked.
1: Oh, great. And it,
2: it was very apparent playing resident evil village. And I want to pose this point to you, Jesse. I really got a feeling that they were human. They were finally giving Ethan a back, uh, a real backstory and real emotion. I felt like when I was playing resident evil seven, the intention was there because it was, you know, it was first person. You are meant to be Ethan Winters in a way with resident evil. Eight, they, they just went balls to the wall and given this, given this chap so much emotion, And what were your, what were your feelings playing as Ethan and experiencing what he experienced?
0: So, yeah, there there was a huge dynamic change between Ethan of seven and Ethan of village. Like obviously seven, the intention was more to put you in the situation. So they kind of dehumanized Ethan to allow the player to kind of role play that experience. But then with village come village comes along, you've got this. Weird scenario where I think the the core idea of you as the player still being the experience while also dealing with a more humanized Ethan, I think made for a really interesting dynamic because a lot of times, like while I was playing it, I had the same kind of emotional reactions as Ethan did as as the, you know, as the, the character. And I think that speaks a lot to maybe a direction they could have went in seven where Ethan might have been a little bit more human there because like i said i think in village like there was this excellent balance of my emotional response as the player versus ethan's emotional response as the the character and they lined up almost perfectly the entire game so you know i don't know if maybe capcom was scared that giving ethan more humanity in seven would have kind of drowned out that player experience but i think with this like capcom proved that they can both make the character or the player feel like the character while also giving the character its own personality. Um, and, it, and it was really wonderful to see because uh, everything about Ethan, like the the response, the reaction, voice acting, all of it, I think was just absolutely on point for a man in this scenario. I, I did find a couple of areas where I'd be like, well, like this should be weird even in the Resident Evil universe as far as reactions go. Um, but overall, I would say they absolutely nailed a human response to the situation Ethan finds himself in in Village.
2: And, and I really felt like there, there was there were times in this, and this is a perfect scene actually. Um, this was this was in the demo, so there's not too many too many spoilers here. Um, he says, "Why is why does everyone keep dying on me?" And he has this real like punch, real punch to the way he delivers his line. And um, I was discussing this off air that. This was... Ethan went from probably the, the bottom, bottom of my list in terms of Resident Evil characters I care about to maybe second or third. Um, he super jumped up in my estimations. Uh, this was... I had so much fun uh, playing as Ethan Winton, experiencing it from his eyes and uh, watching his story play out. Um, something that did come, become apparent was Capcom's distaste for his hands. Um, the- LAUGHTER
0: i think i I don't think it's just his hands i think capcom like it's funny to read in the interviews where you'll see all all the producers and everybody on the game talk about like you know we wanted to continue ethan's story because we loved him as a character and it's like that's some like twisted kind of love because ethan has gone through more trauma than any other resident evil protagonist that i can think of like I think maybe one of the worst things that happens canonically to any of the characters is, you know, Re- Rebecca gets bit by an eliminator. You know, I I think that's like the most trauma anybody's went through. Ethan's had arms, legs, you know, cut off. But like you open the game like I, I love the fact that, you know, you play through the the house portion of the game and then you go immediately into the car wreck with Ethan walking through the snow. And the first thing that you come across is a barbed wire fence and Ethan goes to climb under it and immediately cuts his hand and it like mm. set the tone for the entire game and it's like oh okay <laughs> like we're going in early with Ethan just uh, already getting himself tore up
2: and actually there was mm-hmm. th- there's a scene a um, little bit later in the game again spoilers to everybody who's watching uh, where Ethan gets his arm gets his arm completely severed completely off similar to what happened in Resident Evil 7 with his foot um, but that wasn't the worst for me. The, the, the worst, and I still cannot watch it. The, uh, I've seen it many times now. I it's know when where it's, this is when he's hanging by his hands, and it he, he kind of pulls his hands downwards, and it's kind of like flopping around, and um, oh, just I, it's something to do with the hands, man. Just yeah, really freaks me out.
0: I watching that scene play out because it, it, it's funny. Like I had. You know, th- this was talks back like maybe a year ago. Um, it was right after the first or second trailer came out. I noticed when we were going through stills of that scene that there was like hooks and stuff. Like I, you know, because I think I brought it up on Twitter because uh, a lot of people had noticed it. But around the chandelier, there was hooks, and I was like, okay, use using that as one thing, and then seeing like Ethan kind of looking down at uh, Lady Dimitrescu and her daughters, like, I had already kind of figured that at some point Ethan was going to get, like, strung up. But then actually seeing it, like, I I can't watch that scene. (laughs) Like, I have to, I I literally look away from my monitor when he's ripping his hands off the hooks, because I I can't, I can't, like, I I can put up with a lot of things, like, gore-wise, but something about just, you know, getting the skin, like, right through here ripped off, because, like, as soon as that happened, I literally looked down at my hand and I was like, "Can you even use your hands? Like, <laughs> if they get ripped that bad, like I don't know if I could have just been able to walk. Like, I I'd had have, I I'd had cashed out right there. Like, I might have been able to, you know, keep going after the hook in the leg or, you know, maybe getting my part of my hand bit off. Because I mean, yeah, like right before that, he gets you know two of his fingers bitten right off by a lichen. And I'm like, you know, maybe I could put up with that, but the second I got strung up with my by my hands like Jesus Christ style. I'd, I'd cashed out. I'd be like, you know what? It's, it's just, it's not worth it at this point.
2: Oh no, it was, it, it was horrific. And, oh, uh, I just, I, I did, I did not want to be a part of that. that but that's what's the beauty about this art is that it, it can put you on edge. It can make you scared. It can make you happy. It can make you sad, but it can also make you silly screaming. It actually took me back to the resident evil seven and um, Japanese um, DLC where instead of chopping the fingers off, there was a, there was some sort of weird ruling in, in Japan where they don't like it, where the fingers are severed, but it's perfectly okay to bend them all the way back. That's perfectly fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, to me, that that was the more, like the Japanese version of RE7, the 21 DLC, like is more gruesome than the American version of it where the fingers are actually cut off. Like, because I'm thinking, like, again, like it's thinking about it from a personal perspective. Like, yes, like does, would getting a finger cut off suck? Like, yeah, absolutely. But to me, like, it sounds worse than, like, what sounds worse? Like, one clean cut or literally your finger going back to the point where it snaps in half. Like, oh, and I'd yeah. say the ladder is way more painful and be way more of a gruesome experience.
2: And th- there's parts but, in this game where Ethan's climbing a ladder and he's only gripping it with three fingers. It's just, <laughs> I can't, I'm like, how are you holding on? Like, how do you not just slip off?
0: But, you know, but one thing I I want I want to say real quick, because you said, you know, that was the beauty of you know this media is, you know, being able to make you feel scared or pain, all that. Uh, I want to just go ahead from the get go, call Capcom out on their bullshit uh, from the interviews that came out to IGN right before Village release where they're like, oh, yeah, in response to fan feedback from seven, we toned down the scare factor uh, from seven.
1: Buy yeah.
3: down.
1: you where,
0: <laughs> like absolutely like I like village obviously has some more action and like high points in it than seven does obviously but the fear parts of village blow everything out of in seven out of the water like 100%
2: no yeah I've 100% be a client to uh, I don't know why maybe there was you know Trying to, trying to be a uh, bit bit saucy and uh, pretend that it wasn't scary when in reality it was. Um, in terms of if moving on to, let's talk about some of the, the antagonists of the game. Um, start off with D- Dimitrescu and the Dimitrescu Castle. Um, Matt, what was your initial thoughts going into Dimitrescu Castle? Obviously, we experienced this in the demo and it was fully fleshed out here. Um, Yeah, speak to us about Dimitrescu and the Daughters. So, to start off, at
3: first, I think for every one of the four lords that we had, their sections were absolutely wonderful and distinguishable from each other. Um, We knew with Lady D and the Daughters that we were going to be in that kind of um, Spencer, classic Victorian, you know, Romanian kind of village. Um, And the enemies as well, as well as the scenery plays a real big part in it. I think that section, for me specifically had the most nostalgia when it came to classic games. Um, there's a few parts in the game that really give you those four vibes, and this is definitely one of them and with Lady D specifically and the daughters, we got a good dynamic of like how things worked in the village. We got an understanding of what the castle was for, the reasons for the winery, you know, like the um the creatures you find in the the underground locations um The one thing I will say is I was very interested in that Lady D was marketed so much, but that was our first boss that we actually got to get involved with before we got to the rest of the game, because I feel like she could have had a little bit more time on screen. I feel like there's a little bit more they could have done. But for what we got, it was good. I mean, we got to see, you know, the battles from each of the sisters. We got to see her emotions on what's going on, not only with losing her daughters, but speaking to Miranda as well, her encounters with Ethan, all up to the final boss fight. It was fantastic. It was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I have a theory on that, and I, I've spoken
0: to a couple of people uh, around the community about it, and we kind of come to the same consensus. But this is going off into rumor territory, speculative, like speculation. Um, I think the reason why Lady D was so hyped up in marketing is. I don't think Miranda was always a central point of the game. I think Miranda as the main villain came very late in the game's development. Like, even within the past year. Uh, Because, like, we do know from, like, the Ragnar hack that there was a lot of changes to Village around June of last year. Um, And I honestly believe that's when Miranda and the Duke were added into the game because there's a lot... Of stuff in the hack to speculate that the like the duke wasn't initially the merchant character which is something we had reported on during the initial playtest rumors which were 100 accurate minus the fact that the old woman in the village didn't have a merchant aspect to her at all so it's really weird for all of the information to be correct except for this one little minor detail so i fall under the category that miranda and the duke were added very late game Lady D being the primary villain for the majority of the game's development. But once Miranda was added, Capcom had already built their marketing program around Lady D being the central character in the story. Um, And by that point, the Internet had already fallen in love with her. And I think Capcom spent a huge budget on having Lady D marketed as the, the primary antagonist. So when they added Miranda, they're just like, oh, well, we got a good thing going. We've already spent a lot of money. We're just going to continue down that path. That's my, like again, like I've obviously got nothing to back that up, but just looking at how Lady D plays in the game versus the marketing, like I really think that Capcom had already paid a bunch of marketing for Lady D to be the main person and a last minute change made Miranda the main person. But it was already like working in their favor anyways. You know, obviously the, the memes and everything that came out of Lady D, you know, was selling the game for Capcom. So there was no reason to throw in a extra character into the marketing budget at that point.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really feel like, and this this game has very, very few, very, very few cons, but it does have cons because nothing's perfect. One of the cons that I felt when I was playing is I never felt like, but again, Dimitrescu was, was bigged up as you know the boss of all bosses, even, even at one point called the female tyrant, which to that element I'd say kind of lives up to it. Um, she is pretty much invulnerable until her final form. Um, I just felt like she wasn't a threat at any point. Okay, yeah, I got my hand cut off and I had to run away from her for a, a little while. I just felt like when she was stalking me, I, when I played Resident Evil 2 with the uh, Mr. X, felt like it was a constant threat. I hated hated going to pick up the, the old Jack from downstairs in that little room uh, because you have to walk through the, the liquors and then you've got Mr. X following you. Um, but I just, I, yeah, I felt like Dimitrescu was really passable, I, I easily passable with no issues.
0: I, I think the, the big issue there with Lady D is, for one, we've already had this type of enemy four games in a row now we had Jack and seven we had uh, Mr. X and Resident Evil 2 remake we had Nemesis and Resident Evil 3 remake. Now we're going to Resident Evil 4 or excuse me Resident Evil Village with uh, Lady D as this this new stalker character. So we're, we're already used to the mechanic by now like the strategies that you would use to avoid either three of those is the same strategies you would use to avoid Lady D. And then with the castle dynamic itself, like all of the enemies are either, you know, outside on the roof or downstairs in the basement. So when you're traversing the, you know, two or three main floors of the castle, uh, your only enemies are uh, Lady D and two of the daughters at that point, because you finished the one daughter off fairly quickly. You know, so I think lack of enemies and the fact that we've already faced this villain, you know, this type of villain three times in a row kind of spoiled it a little bit. Like, I I don't know if Capcom could have done anything else to make lady D a little bit more unique, you know? So uh, like, again, like I think, well, uh, she was well executed. Mm. I think we just seen it too much already.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe to that end, we already kind of subconsciously found Ways of overcoming enemies like that, Mm -hmm. Matt. What was your thoughts? No,
3: I um, I'd agree with you because don't get me wrong, I I enjoyed her presence. I enjoyed the atmosphere. I mean, she had a lot of good lines. uh, Everything that she did, you know, really helped push the push the story on. But I mean, like even if you're playing on the harder difficulties, it didn't feel like up until the final set boss fight that she was much more of a threat. I mean, she was basically scenery at that point. So I definitely get where you're coming from there. And yeah, you're right. We've been used to like the Tyrant, Mr. X, Jack, but even in this one specifically, I mean, other than the fact that you can't really down or damage her was the only really big difference compared to the other ones. You could down them to the point that if they took enough damage, they were out permanently for, what, 5, 10, 15 seconds. In this, she was a little bit slower. She wasn't much more of a threat, but you could unload on her and she'd just keep coming. So it was basically just keeping you moving through the game, getting your puzzles done, collecting the masks. She was just made to be more of a presence than an actual boss at that time. And then once you get to the very end, and don't get me wrong, I did enjoy her final boss fight. I thought it was new for Resident Evil. I thought it was exciting. I thought the mutation was really cool as well. Um, but just kind of like a little little bit of a tease up until then.
0: Yeah, no, I, I get that. And like I said, I think the only time I felt Legitimately concerned about Lady D's presence was the part in the cellar where she cuts Ethan's hand off, where you have to change the levers or, or you know, you have to pull the levers, mm-hmm. uh, especially in Village of Shadows difficulty. Um, because she one hit, you know, like puts you into like the blinking red caution with an like a hand swipe, and I got hit immediately, so I was running at like half speed, and you know, the screen gets all blurry and stuff. So,
3: yeah, I think Village that was shadow's like shadows definitely. Because, like, they throw the the standard enemies in there as well to make it even more difficult.
0: Yeah, so, like, that's the thing. Like, she wasn't really a threat until the hardest difficulty. But I know most, like, even myself, like, as a casual gamer, like, usually I don't play on the highest difficulties. I was doing this more just as a challenge, uh, you know, to myself. And, yeah, I think that was, like, you have to play it in the highest difficulty to actually make her a threat. And then, again, she's only a threat in certain areas.
2: I I felt that about the Nemesis as well. Like when I played mm. Nemesis on normal mode and even hardcore mode, wasn't really a problem. And then like the nightmare mode hit you. Like holy shit, this guy does oh sorry, Inferno. Like holy shit,
1: like all of a sudden he he's a he's a real credible threat. It can really cause you some problems. Yeah. Yeah. And and too, like with the um you know, with the daughter, do- like the daughter, McCann- like,
0: and this was actually interesting because the the second time I played through the game, I actually I don't know if either one of y'all saw it on any of your playthroughs, but you can actually get a scene with Lady D and Cassandra in the main room. Yep. Like, I didn't experience that my first playthrough and I've actually only had I've played through six times now and I've only actually seen it in one playthrough. Like, I don't know what the pathing is to get it, but. There was actually a really cool scene between Lady D and I think Cassa- it was either Cassandra or Daniela, which it, uh,
3: uh where I can't, I think one. it was Cassandra because once you've done the first two bosses, if you come back down through the elevator, you take a right to go through that unlocked door to the main hall. If you don't go all the way through, Lady D is standing up on the balcony and she's talking down to the daughter. So I think it's just set after the second, um, as soon as you come off the rooftop.
0: Yeah, see I, I watched that scene and then like Big Dumb like walked into the middle because the- that was on my Village of Shadows playthrough mm-hmm. and I got absolutely wrecked in the main in the main hall. Like the one place I was like, oh, this is like the easiest place to do. And yeah, no, like because Lady D ran down the stairs and um Cassandra was right there as well. So that was uh <laughs> that was not fun.
1: So
2: moving on to uh, the second, the second house of Resident Evil Village or House, was it called the four, Second Lords? Um, I can't four remember Lords. Well, yeah.
0: I think I think actually, like I think actually, before we move on to that, we have to discuss the the kind of plot point between there between the two houses. Like once yeah, you defeat, yeah. once you defeat Lady D, you go to walk out and you pick up the dirty flask.
2: Yes, and yes. You're like
0: okay, like you know, like I I, like I saw it and I was like okay, whatever. And you take it to the Duke and he's like, oh yeah, that's Rose. Like she's been split into four portions. And it didn't hit me my first playthrough. Like it honestly didn't. Like I was thinking, okay, this is like even though like Ethan took it literally, like my brain didn't process it as literal. Like I was like, okay, this is like some weird like figurative like you know like oh like this is like the essence of Rose or something. And then on my second playthrough, when I watched that scene again, I was like. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Rose. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's Rose <laughs> into like four different pieces. Like, they they, <laughs> yeah. cut, they cut little baby up and put her into four vials.
3: Yeah, the first time you play through, your mind just wants to process it. So like, OK, well, I need these four pieces to get to the final boss. Sure, no big deal. But then actually you start listening to the actual plot between Duke and him and just realizing that Ethan's carrying around parts of his, his daughter. And it's just like, oh, OK, well, I get where they're going with this now. All right. So.
2: And let's not forget the absolutely beautiful irony of uh, Ethan killing three of Dimitrescu's daughters, and then going, "I just want to find my daughter." <laughs> and it's like, hang on a minute, <laughs> you just took three of mine. What are you doing?
0: I think actually, Lady D makes a re- like a small reference to that in the game. Like, obviously not to that extent, but you know, like she says something about you know. Ethan's daughter being taken and also like her daughter's being killed. Like it's a small little optional line, I think, in one of the fights.
2: I think this would be a good time to talk about the Duke in quite in detail, really. Um, Obviously, Duke serves as the quote-unquote merchant
1: character of Resident Evil Village, but really for me provides quite a, a deep replayability to
2: Resident Evil. Village with weapons, ammo, upgrades. But I think it does it better than Resident Evil 4 and 5. Like, even that you can sell the guns back to to, uh, the merchant, but when you buy them back, they've still got the same upgrades. That's huge, hugely, hugely beneficial than starting
1: again with what they did in 4 and 5. Um, Who is the Duke? Oh, even the Duke Duke doesn't know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but in the Duke's own words, like even I don't know that. Uh,
0: now, like it's in it's inferred that the Duke works for the connection. Like he's very aware of Mia, and obviously knows Ethan. Like um, I don't actually know where that came from. Now that I think about it, I don't know if it's actually explained in the files. But the Duke has has some kind of connection to the connection. Like outside of that, the rest of Duke himself is you know out, out you know out in the wind like we don't know much and I think like I said I think a lot of that is Duke wasn't always a character that was planned for for village mm-hmm. so I think a lot of like they intentionally made his backstory kind of mysterious because he was like a last minute addition and it's easier to just be like oh who's, you know spooky backstory versus like trying to cram a narrative together in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But okay. I I would say
5: Shop on eBay this holiday season to get more. For your dough on stand mixers. Mm. Or get more. For your buck on this season's hottest tech and gaming gear. And on eBay, you can even get more. (gasps) Bling for less cha-ching on jewelry. You can get more because you save more on premium brands with eBay's exclusive deals. Get more when you get it on eBay.
0: Oh, I was just saying, but I would say he's a better merchant mechanic than like it, it's for in the form that it should be. Like yeah, I think he Capcom really 100 nailed this.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it, he doesn't just you know uh, I love the original merch, iconic, uh, and you know the some of the mining treasure, but he didn't really advance the story in any way. Like uh, he he was just he he just kind of what I like to what I'm trying to say is that. What I liked about this is they justified his existence in that space, mm-hmm. which they didn't do with Resident Evil 4. Like to me, when I played Resident Evil 4, I was like, why the fucking, all these other people attacking him? Like what, what is so special about this merchant? We all know he's got glowy eyes, but what what is so special about him? Is he, is he, is he part of the Plugus? But what I love about the Duke is he, he like very, very spoon feeds you the story very, very slowly. And, and even though, even at one point actually helps you <laughs> and uh, you're in the back of his you're in the back of his wagon. Hilarious.
0: Yeah, like it, it's definitely more implied that the Duke outside of the plot of Resident Evil Village had a definite connection and like a, a real world place in that environment where the merchant seem in four seems to solely exist for like Leon's benefit. Where the Duke, the way that he talks and reacts, especially like when you bring him the crystallized fragments of each of the the four lords, like, you know, he makes references, you know, like he he acts like he knows these people on a personal level where the merchant, like I said, like the merchant force just like, oh, I'm just I'm just here. Like, you know, I exist where the Duke like definitely was given a real world place in the environment like he, you know. Was the lo- like the actual local merchant? You know, he, you know, went. Seems like he did business with the lords, and like I said, with his having some kind of connection to the connections. Like, you know, he had a he had a real place in the world, not just a shop mechanic for the sake of a shop mechanic.
2: Mm-hmm. What about yourself? Man?
3: Uh, there's there's a few points of the duke I'd really like to touch with. Um, to be honest, I loved him. I think I like him more than the merchant. He had a amazing personality um he had a way to keep the character in high hopes he was funny he was creative but at the same time he assisted you when you needed it um like you guys have both just said this is the first time we've had any type of um character or creature that's selling stuff to us in this game feel like they're part of the actual story and to have a background to be there they're not just there for no reason um And there's a few things with that specifically, too, because this is the first time I think we've ever been able to actually purchase live ammo in a game. So there's a cool little addition with that, not to mention the upgrades for weapons, being able to buy things back with the same accessories that they had on them. Um, And the one thing that I thought was really interesting is the entire time that this character is with us throughout the story, they're not attacked or involved with anything else other than that once. And I understand that it's because they have interactions with the Lords, you know, they do business. But we've never seen him in harm whatsoever, everything that's going on in the village. Even during the times when the bells tolling, when the lichens were attacking the city, nothing. And then all of a sudden, he just appears right outside of Lady D's castle. So it's really interesting to figure out where he came from. But um, on top of that, I think he was a great addition. I enjoyed him more than the merchant from the previous one. He definitely was a likable character that helped press on the story. And I don't think it would have been without his help that Ethan would have seceded in the end, so
1: and you know
0: and and actually, I just thinking about this, like Capcom definitely took uh you know the merchant this merchant mechanic, the Duke, a lot from Devil May fi uh excuse me, Devil May Cry Five, like for anyone who's played it in Devil May Cry Five, Nico is a character that acts as kind of like shop basically the duke's role in this and she's a very real fleshed out character and uh, that literally just came to my mind that i think capcom is perfected the merchant system elsewhere and kind of translated it back into resident evil because the way nico works in dcm5 versus the way the duke works in village is very similar and like i said i think it's something that resident evil's really needed um especially you know like 7 had like uh, 7 had to an extent a merchant mechanic that I felt was like really lazy, you know, collect the coins, unlock bird cages. Um mm-hmm. and then 6 was 6 was just what it was. Um, uh, so it was nice to see the the shop mechanic come back in such a fleshed out way. But like I said, I think like Capcom experiments everywhere with all their with all their titles and I think I think when Devil May Cry 5 came out, they perfected the merchant mechanic and they're like, "Oh, now that we have a perfect merchant, me- you know, mechanic or character let's translate that back into resident evil now uh, and i think it worked absolutely beautifully like the duke is probably top you know in my top 10 favorite resident evil side characters of all time if not closer to top 5 as far as side characters go
1: mm. i can agree with that
2: let's let's talk about the the role of the vi- the, the actual village in resident evil village um what was mother Miranda's real purpose for the vid? Um, it was kind of explored a little bit later in the game, but obviously you saw the complete massacre, at the start of the game. Um, Jesse, fill us in with what, what, what the village actually. was.
0: So like the village has obviously been around a lot longer than Miranda, but throughout the game, you, you find out that Miranda has been around for, you know, almost a hundred years or so. And like, it's the 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 mold originates from the village and miranda's figured out how to manipulate the mold to basically give her eternal life and to be able to control things using it. and she's basically you know for the past you know several decades been using the village as like a test sub, you know testing grounds for ways to bring back her daughter uh which is the main plot point of miranda like kidnapping rose so, uh, you know, the village kind of just has existed at the behest of Miranda and, the you know, her chosen four lords to kind of do with the, with the village as they please. And, you know, we're led to believe that for a long time, it's been kind of malevolent or not malevolent, but it's it's been kind of a give and take like Miranda protects the village, you know, from out, the outside, you know, on the I guess the side. That the villagers provide themselves when miranda or lady d needs you know because like it's if you read the files through lady d's portion especially seems like she takes a lot of young women from the village to come work in the castle and when they fuck up like they go down to the cellar get you know mutated and then become you know the kind of mindless more zombie-esque characters we see versus uh you know the lichens of the actual village so it looks like up until the the point where Rose is kidnapped, that it's been kind of give and take between Miranda and the villagers. They sacrifice themselves. Miranda keeps them safe. Uh, but then once Miranda gets Rose, like all hell kind of breaks loose. She's like, "Yeah, I'm done. I don't need the village anymore." So the Lycans kind of have their fun with it, and you know, like all the lords seem like they kind of like ramp up their stuff as well. Like, you know, you've got the whole deal with Heisenberg kind of. Trying to very quickly together throw an army to overtake Miranda because he's pissed because she mutated him. Um, so, the, but the one thing that, and, and the reason why Village kind of misses the mark for me is I, as much as I love the, the aesthetic of the village, I loved exploring it, I loved reading the files. I didn't get the sense of the village having its own personality that Capcom had put forward that it would. Like you know, the whole marketing ploy behind calling it Resident Evil Village versus Resident Evil 8 was because the village was supposed to feel more like a central character. And I felt like they went that direction, but I never got the sense that the village itself was a character. Like, I think there was a lot of missed marks or maybe cut content. That would have made the village feel a little bit more alive, because you know that that was like literally one of the things they said was the village would you know feel alive, and it it never did like you you immediately go into like a ransacked village, like, and from the initial trailers and stuff, we saw you know people tending their fields uh we we saw more life in the village, and I, I think it's kind of a shame that they didn't make the final game because I think that would have gave me a little bit more believability to the village or. You know, we saw in the the initial trailer, there was a woman holding a baby that had nothing to do with the the final game. And I think that would have helped explain the purpose of the village a little bit better. You know, like, obviously, Miranda needs Rose because, you know, she wants to transform her her deceased daughter uh, or bring her deceased daughter back to life using Rose as a vessel. And I think that would have made more sense had you seen other children in the village or, you know, other infants in the village or had a little bit more backstory to it. I mean, those, you know, again, like those are minor points and take off very little for me for village overall story. Um, But I think the village would have the village could have been a little bit more fleshed out as much as I liked it. Like I just wanted more story to make the village more than just a pretty set piece.
2: and I, I think what we're going to do for this podcast as well, we we're gonna we're gonna take a look at some key things from the first showcase, which weren't actually included in the main game. There there are cutscenes that are in that initial reveal, which weren't in Resident Evil Village, and I think they would have definitely have nailed that aesthetic that you were looking for it seemed like in the trailer you're going to be spending a hell of a lot more time in the village than what you what we ended up spending i think i spent more time fucking walking around heisenberg's factory than uh, than in the village
3: uh, we'll get to that little tidbit <laughs> yeah,
2: indeed so moving on to, yeah. oh go on go on
0: oh yeah no i'm just saying oh, like I, I i still think the village told a good story and i think by the end of the game like you know to go back to the original the original question like i think you understand the purpose of the village by the end of the game but i think it's all kind of given to you at once versus i think had the village been a little bit more fleshed out or not as cut back it would have been more apparent from the start or you could have started building an idea of what the village exists for cuz like i said like you know like you're given the sense of you know like especially with the um the uh the scene like the prayer circle scene where the villagers are like oh mother miranda's always protected us and like it seems like now she's kind of turned her back on us well like we're seeing the tail end of it like i think it would have made maybe a little bit more narrative sense to have walked into a more kind of benevolent village versus a malevolent village
2: mm. and that got a fucking brilliant point th- even if you would have seen like the way sometimes i that- you see it in games like Fallout, Fallout 3 mainly, where you you wake up and you're already in this world of mayhem, but you see through like old books, through like old tapes, like wow, there was a world here that was happy and there was white picket fences and everything was great because Mother Miranda was fucking looking after us. We didn't get that.
1: Like, I mean, you do
0: to a small extent like i think one of the bigger points of that being uh what i think it's the maestro's house where like on one of the walls like there's a picture like drawn by a little girl for her birthday or something like you get like this brief moment of like oh wow this was kind of like maybe a nice place at one time but like that's literally it the rest of it looks just kind of third worldish and it doesn't look like anybody ever had any fun you know And I'm not saying like the village should have been spotless. I mean, obviously it's meant to look very like rustic, very rural. Um, But I think maybe just like five or ten minutes at the beginning of the game, like to see people working the fields or kind of living some kind of normal life right before shit hit the fan, I think would have just bumped up that narrative. Just just the the tiniest, but best notch.
3: See, I completely agree with that, but you, this is something that Capcom actually does pretty often, to be honest. Like in mm. our pe- previous games, let's say, let's start with uh, 2 Remake. One of the biggest things I was excited for was like, oh, we're going to see the city being attacked more. Maybe we'll get to run into some survivors, some more cops in the the police station or the RPD. We'll get some more, you know, one-on-one interaction. And then ended up being like maybe one or two people you interact with. And then three remake came out. I was like, okay, well, we'd like to see what happens during the initial outbreak. And we get a little bit of that. We get some Brad moments. We get them talking and explaining things. One of the first scenes, you're actually in the city seeing what happens. But then it just kind of takes away and it's back to the, okay, here's the main character. Here's the enemies. Here's the story. We're just going to cruise through it. Same thing happened with Village. Maybe some of the cutbacks that they had from last year in June was they tried to cut out more of that beginning so they could hollow it out to fill more in for the ending as well. Because I'm sure they had a lot of concepts with, you know, like maybe interactions with villagers, maybe even being attacked by them, helping them in certain situations. And, and for one reason or another, Capcom was like, OK, well, we're going to cut a portion of this so we can fit something else in. And that's something they're pretty used to doing with their titles.
0: Because like and I think it's, it's really apparent when you when you look at the the Elena Leonardo scene where we're very quickly given normal people. Um, and we help them, you know, like, you know, we climb over the back fence and unlock the gate for them so they can come in, you know, into the the safe area. Um, and I, I, I honestly, from the initial trailer we got and how Capcom marketed the village as being more alive in its own character, like, I expected more moments like that. And there was even... Um, You know, one of the, the playtest rumors, which obviously didn't make the final game, if it actually was a valid playtest, was that there was going to be more of the the Elena-Leonardo scene, but on a bigger scale. Like, there was going to be more, uh, it was going to the, the out like, the attack on the village was going to be more in real time versus coming in on the, t- you know, like, we come in during the aftermath. Mm. Uh, but according to one of the playtests that, like, we heard about, and I... I think some elements kind of made it into the final. So I I, I want to give it like 60% credibility, um, but it was very clear in that play test, like there would be a lot of survivors trying to run to Louisa's house and going through that field area, like where the, the lichens are kind of stalking the tall grass, all Jurassic park lost world style that you would be trying to run with the other survivors to Louisa's house. And you were going to be seeing people get picked off by the lichens and, you know, obviously, we didn't see that in the final game, but I think again, like it would have been that one extra little element that might have added just a little bit more to the the storytelling of you know how the village was somewhat peaceful versus you know like now we see it in its just completely destroyed state. Like I, I wanted that little bit of Resident Evil Three remakes intro in there, just just mm. the you know just a sliver of it.
2: But you did, and in the, in the, the, the problem is, it's not like these were conceptual ideas. Like, these did exist at some point. Like, if you watch the, watch the original playtest, there's a scene where literally Leonardo's staring out of a field, and there's all these, like, crows flying towards if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, where is that in the main game? And there's a, there's a scene with, with Elena, and she's got a fucking torch in around. Where is that in the main game? So there was there yeah. were there were scenes that were inevitably cut, and were, you know, at some point in the near future, we'll, we'll uh, I really want to go through the concept art and and go through, play the yeah, uh, the showcase to see what actually was omitted from the final release of of Resident. Evil.
1: Yeah, that's a huge
0: project. That's already somewhat under underworks and, and and it's a really interesting thing to dive to read through these play tests and um you know watch some of the older trailers and see what kind of fit together then but didn't make the final game uh and all the you know these different ideas so th- there's a lot to dissect there um mm-hmm. You know, and even the concept art, like reading some of the little comments, because uh, I, I did love that in the Resident Evil Village concept art, they have like these like little developer notes that are attached with them that kind of soft confirm some things that we heard about way back when that we didn't see in the final game. But uh, actually, I think just one of them that being the biggest for me is Moreau section. Like we had heard that like Moreau section was going to be more fleshed out, have its own enemy style, you know, enemy types and stuff there. Which obviously we didn't see in the final game, but in some of the, the Ethan Trauma pack files and the concept art, like Capcom actually says, like, yeah, we actually had a bigger design plan for Moreau's section with a lot more unique things, but it became too ambitious for the budget that we had. So some of it, you know, ended up getting cut and we got the Moreau that we got. So, you know, obviously it doesn't prove that the rumors we heard were true, but definitely lend great credibility to the fact that at one time, a more expansive area existed in the game that ended up getting cut down for the final. And I think, you know, the the opening scenes we see from that initial trailer is also, you know, further proof of that. Like we see all these scenes that didn't make the final game, but you kind of see the remnants of what could have been.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's an unreasonable point. But I think you're bang on the money there. Um, but it is again. It, it feels like we're being super critical here, but we did enjoy Resident. There were oh, certain 100%. there were that certain much, parts much. that so that, go like
0: like this is the whole thing for me. I again because I, I know it sounds critical, but I think you have to look at it from the standpoint of knowing what could have been versus the final product. Like you have to be able to take the two, you know, separate them. Like, if you ask me, you know, what my opinion of Resident Evil Village as a final project is, like, again, like, it's a nine, nine point five out of ten for me. You know, those extra portions or whatever, like, I don't want to, I like, I'm not going to grade what we got off of what I know or per- perceive that could have been. You know, I like, like I said, I'd love to see those areas and I, I love talking about what could have been. Um, but I don't you know like I don't judge the final product based off of you know rumor or hearsay and demos and stuff like that, so you know, even if it sounds like we're being critical, like I think all three of us definitely love the game that we play, you know we'd love to see more obviously, but i I, I still at the end of the day think that the what we perceive to be cut content takes away very little in terms of overall gameplay,
2: so <clears throat> we're currently watching. Footage of the uh, the is it Ben Viento Ben Benavito, um, Matt. What was your thoughts going into this? Um, this had this is kind of two two elements to it. You've got the kind of the dolls, and then of course you got. Well, we'll, we'll move on to that in just a second. Absolute nightmare fuel. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I'm ready
3: for that happened. one.
2: So let's
1: let's talk about the doll. Let's call it phase of, of is it Ben Benviento Ben Benviento. Uh, uh, I, yeah. I, I I I think I've said it like fifteen
2: different ways. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Matt. Far away. Alright, so
3: for anyone that hasn't gotten to that point, or uh, of course we're talking about things that have already happened. This is literally right after we meet with Duke for the first time. You know, he explains that all of your daughter's body parts have been separated to the four lords. Um, he marks on the map where we need to go to literally confront these people and get the pieces back. And the first stop that we have is the House of Benedito. And um, the thing that's really cool about this is every separate boss or every separate Lord has a different feel to their atmosphere, their location, their enemies and their vibes. And this one definitely gives more off of a scary haunted house, supernatural kind of feeling, which honestly it felt in like not out of place. Like it felt like it was pretty good. You know, we're walking through the mist. Um, Ethan has a couple um, visions of Mia, which, you know, from the player's point of view, we already know that like, this isn't real. Don't buy that. Ethan Um, We get to the house, which um, in my opinion, that section of seeing the house over the ridge with the waterfall in the background is probably the most beautiful image in Village to me. Like, it's an absolutely beautiful location. Um, we go up to this old, rustic mansion, we press open the doors, and it looks like it's a normal living house inside. Um, as for the dolls and everything that had happened in this location, this is hands down the creepiest and far-out point of the game until later on in the session. Um, we really get a horror vibe from it. We definitely get more puzzles, interactions that involve the player being uncomfortable or having to push through things to get from one section to the another. I mean, anytime you're going to enter a house with a bunch of creepy dolls, obviously it's going to bother you anyway. But the thing that's really cool about this part is the entire location itself feels like the boss fight. We get deeper into the bowels. We go to the basement and go down an elevator. Um, We find the wooden doll of Mia, your wife. We get to see this Angie doll that has been brought to life. We don't know why. We don't know how. Steals all your weapons. So automatically you're left to do all these different types of puzzles to progress through. And as you're doing it, the atmosphere is getting darker and there's a lot more scary things that happen. Things are popping off walls, you hear things around corners, um and I I gotta say, this is probably my favorite part of the game Um, it's definitely the scariest, it's definitely the most interactive, it's a completely different feeling from going from a village of, you know, using a shotgun to mow down lichens to being completely helpless without any weapons using your wits to get to the next location and um now that they're there let's talk about that baby <laughs>
2: <'Cause>, uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, go on. So so um I, I knew little bits and pieces up to that part. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know exactly what it completely looked like. So this was um release morning that I was on with you. You know, we finished some of the puzzles, we were going down the long, like like dark corridor and there's blood dripping from one corner to the next, and we get to the main hall where the elevator is, and this thing stretches around the corner. It gets close enough to the face that you can see it's a giant mutated baby, which is absolutely terrifying to any person. I don't care who you are. That's creepy as hell. And this thing starts chasing you down the corridor. You've got no weapons. You have no idea what to do. It's terrifying. It's saying mama, mama, papa and stuff like that in the background. It's chasing you, following you around. And you have to literally work around the puzzles and the creature to get everything done. You feel helpless, you're terrified, it's creepy, and I know a lot of places right now are um, speculating it might be one of the creepiest parts of Resident Evil game that's ever been you know, made, which I agree with. Um, but that's why I liked this location so much. Because even if it had a little bit more of a supernatural element to it, and you think more lines of 7, it was absolutely terrifying. The player was not ready for it. They were not expecting this. And... Um, I think the way it ended was perfect.
2: Hmm. So, and I definitely got some PT vibes from this. Like, again, PT is one oh, of yeah. those games which kind of now almost has become an urban legend that we, this really felt like a little bit of a spiritual successor to PT. But fuck me, that was, oh, yeah. that was unreal. That was, oh, yeah, really, really tense. Jesse, what were your thoughts when you saw <laughs> Big, Big Slimy Baby? So
0: it was nice to see what, you know, like the baby from P.T. has been doing in the (laughs) years. since. Uh, yeah, it's nice to see him all grown up. Uh, I I absolutely love this portion of the game. Like, I wish it was a little bit longer, but I understand why it's it's a shorter part of the game. But I'm a huge fan of escape room. And so playing this portion of the game like doing I mean because the, the whole this whole portion of the game is basically an escape room like I absolutely loved it and going back on later playthroughs and and seeing how much can actually be cut out once you know the puzzle of it was is really interesting Um but I, I love the environment here definitely definitely shows the potential of what Konami could have done if they wouldn't have been Konami Um. But, yeah, no, I, I absolutely love this portion of the game. The The environment was great. The. The feel of it was great. I, I love the big, slimy, disgusting baby. Um, I, it was the element of Resident Evil. And even, like, the files on it were, like, that's an actual, like, I think in the files it says it's, like, a two to three minute old baby that was mutated. So that's oh. not, like, some, like crazy like BOW that's like literally a woman gave birth and two minutes later like they injected it with something to create this monstrosity which Mm -hmm. makes it sound even worse (laughs) like it makes it (laughs) makes it that much worse because like it goes from being like oh like you know this is just something we grew in a tube to like oh no like this was like somebody's child that was like mutated minutes after birth um and then like going into the actual like boss fight there where I I loved the idea of doing a boss fight with no weapon. Mm. Like it's something that obviously hasn't really been done in the past. You know, like Resident Evil boss fights. You know, from the very get go to even seven, like is always involves some kind of weapon. So it was it was interesting because going into the section, like you don't know. You have all your guns at the start, and I'm like, okay, like what is this doll going to mutate into that I have to shoot and kill? And then getting to the end of it, where it's like, okay, I solved the puzzles. I'm back out in the, the front room, and then like, wait, I still don't have my guns anymore. And then realizing that the entire boss fight is a you know big hide and seek game. Um, I thought it was a really interesting style, definitely different than anything Resident Evil's done, and definitely different than all the other boss fights in Village itself. Uh, I think it was a really interesting mechanic, and I, you know, now Ethan gets to be the only Resident Evil antagonist that has beat a boss BOW with no
1: gun, you know, no gunplay. Hmm. Let, let me see if I can get the sound actually. Absolutely terrifying.
3: I don't miss that at all. Yeah.
1: Nope.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: and and another the, another interesting thing is just the the design of Donna, who is the the human versus Angie, that is the puppet. Is Donna is in mourning clothes? You know, she's dressed like she's going to a funeral. Where Angie is in a bridal gown.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, I, I thought that was a really you know, subtle kind of life and death.
4: For 150 years, Children's National Hospital has provided exceptional care and groundbreaking research. Please donate today to give children and healthcare heroes a reason to believe this holiday season. Visit childrensnational.org slash holiday.
5: Shop on eBay this holiday season to get more for your dough on stand mixers Mm. or get more for your buck on this season's hottest tech and gaming gear. And on eBay, you can even get more. (gasps) Bling for less cha-ching on jewelry. You can get more because you save more on premium brands with eBay's exclusive deals. Get more when you get it on eBay.
0: You know, kind of a dynamic there that I thought was was really, you know, like one of those really interesting subtle things uh, I don't think, you know, it really adds anything to the the overall story, but I thought it was a neat little kind of just throw
3: in kind of deal. Yeah, just to slightly add on that, it, it, it honestly, it's one of the few lords or characters in this game that even though you went through a traumatic thing to get to this boss fight and they have your daughter, that you end up feeling bad for the person. Like this is one of the few games that literally once you beat the boss, once you find out their backstory and actually have seen what's happened to them, like you really do feel that type of emotion. So it's really good that they brought that out in Ethan's game because
1: it was just overall it feels so. Yes, hmm. that's, not, that's not one that the one unreasonable point. To so moving, then, oh go on.
0: Oh, and I was gonna say moving on to Moreau, who is yeah. probably the most pathetic <laughs> boss. Resident Evil history, minus maybe um, Irving from 5. Like, we, like,
2: It was pitched. I swear it was pitched. It was going to be, oh, this is the next-gen Del Lago or Del Lago, however you say it, from Resident Evil 4. You're going to be fighting on a boat. And there were elements you were on a boat, but, yeah, this wasn't anything like that. You're,
0: you're definitely given, like, the environment gives off the vibe like, you know, there are moments where like he's jumping around in the water um, and you're on the boat. Like Well, those are basically scripted scenes like it definitely you get that feel that you're about to go into an RE4 style Del Lago fight. And then you realize that, no, this is just a normal run and gun boss fight. It just has a couple of extra elements to it. So I, I was kind of let down a little bit by that. I, like His boss fight overall wasn't bad. Um, I, I did like his like kind of like acid rain mechanic that he could do. I thought that was that was really interesting. Um but overall, you know, it's just you know, drain drain the swamp, fight him in a pit, call it a day. But I it, it, it's funny because like in his more humanoid form, like you almost feel kind of bad for him the whole time because like he's just he's just put out It's like such a pathetic character the yeah, whole just a time. loser
2: like, just a pure loser like,
0: like even from the very get-go where ethan wakes up after being captured by heisenberg for the first time like you see you know like when you wake up and An- the the angie puppets in front of you and like you know morose to the side of her and she basically like shoes him out of the way and he like cowers and stuff over a puppet you know like he's just a huge loser the whole time like You know, and then uh, obviously he got the the worst draw from the genetic lottery, you know, with his mutation where everybody else like Eisenberg probably being the most humanoid in appearance. You know, Lady D being a close second because she looks normal. She's just really tall. Um, And then Donna having a messed up face, which is covered by her, you know, her veil. Um, And then, you know, Moreau at the very bottom of the pack with, you know, (laughs) know, and you know, like, very amphibian style face. Um, But, yeah, you know, and then, like, you know, hearing him go, oh, Mother Miranda, you know, I'll do better next time, and, like, just just such a miserable, like, pathetic character, and, like, to the extent, like I said, like, you kind of want to feel bad for him, but at the same time, like, you
3: kind of (laughs) don't. You know? Yeah, he's he's chasing you through the one section, He, he dives, and at this point, he does mutate when he's in the water, but... He's chasing you through the one location where you have to um, you have to climb up onto two of the pillars and he's swimming through it. He's like, I'm the best. Like, he's cheering himself on. He's super excited about himself. He's like, Mother Miranda, watch me. I can do this. And then two seconds later, he's back into depression mode, just talking <laughs> shit on himself. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs>
3: like, I like Like, don't get me wrong. I liked him as a character. You're meant to feel bad for him. You're me- You're meant to put him at the bottom tier. But at the same time, he's fucking goofy and hilarious. And it's fun. Yeah. It's definitely fun.
0: Mm. But speak, speaking of, or go on, LA, what's your, what's your impressions of the hunchback of Moreau?
2: That's <laughs> I don't know. It just, I don't think that whole boss battle did a lot for me. Uh, one thing I did love, uh, you touched on it. whole acid effect. Cause you could, and the one thing that's prevalent in is whenever Ethan was hit, he, he had like effects on him. Like when he got bit, Say we got bit by a lichen, on your other hand, it actually stayed on your hand for a little while. This was explored in Resident Evil 2 and 3 remake a little bit, but you got to see, like, cosmetic damage to Ethan, and it was especially highlighted when you were fighting Moro, and he did the acid attack. And, like, Ethan was all fucking burnt to a crisp, and, like, you had to put the, uh, the first aid med on him. But, I mean, it was a, it's a pretty easy boss
1: fight. Didn't really have any, any real issues. Yeah, tanky, but that was it. Hmm. it. The design was cool. I'll I'll admit,
3: seeing the the like classic like giant eyeballs looking at you in the RE engine on this game was pretty impressive. I think his mutated design looked pretty cool, and honestly, it, it was very similar to Irving's in Five, where his partial body was inside the giant bow carcass. So I guess that was a little bit of a callback too. But just just your standard run of the mill shoot at and wait till it dies, you know.
2: So, moving swiftly on to our boy, Eisenberg, and his uh, cyberpunk factory, which, oh my God, I got total, like, even though that's an absolute labyrinth to get around, total odd world fights from that. Um, I loved it so much. I love that. I'll see if I can get some up here and talk about it, Jesse.
0: I absolutely loved Heisenberg as a character, and it it was interesting because it didn't really, some of Capcom's, like the official Resident Evil Village website, when they released some of his art, they specifically called out, like, you know, is he friend or foe? Like, that was, like, one of the captions on an art piece of his. And at the time, didn't really make much sense because, you know, before the context of some of the late, late Stuff that came out from IGN right before the game's release, like we were given no inclination that like he- like Heisenberg in the trailer was going to be any kind of boss character. You know, there was speculation he was a merchant. There was speculation. He was Daniel from resistance. There was all this speculation. But to me, like I never the thought never even really crossed my mind about him being one of, you know, like technically one of the last bosses to fight in the game. Um, and even the game kind of throws you for that for a little bit because Heisenberg has this whole thing of he's like, you know, he basically gives you the the flask that he's holding on to. And, you know, he's slyly hinting at like Ethan and him partnering up to take down Miranda. And even when you go to his factory, like when you first enter in and he, you know, he's talking with you, he's like, you know, this isn't a trap. Like, you know, I want to work together with you to take down Miranda. And you're kind of like, oh, well, this is an interesting twist to a RE boss. And then he was like, Yeah, he's like, I know you want your daughter, but like, you know, screw your daughter. Like, I, I need to keep, you know, turn your daughter into a weapon. And Ethan's like, well, no, like, fuck that. Like, we're gonna take down Miranda, we're gonna find another way to do it. And Heisenberg, you know, w- you know, being on kind of one track mind is like, no, this is the way that we're going to do it, because it's the way that I want to do it. Uh, so you know, it was really interesting to see almost a partnership between a main villain and uh and the and the protagonist up until the point where it's like you know ethan makes it apparent that he's not going to work with heisenberg the way that he wants him to um you know and then you know obviously you know comes out through the rest of the uh the factory sequence which i absolutely love the factory like it still irritates me um because i get lost all the time like that's the one part of the game that i haven't really path out very well um but I love the aesthetic of the factory. I love the enemy types of the factory. Um, Heisenberg's final boss was... Yeah, I, I liked it for what it was, just like a little hokey final boss. Um, very reminiscent to me of a more interactive RE7's final Evelyn fight. Um, but I think overall, like the, the, the factory was probably my second favorite part of the game. Uh, you know, I, I honestly would say the, the house Ben Viento with the, the escape room aspect and then the and then the, the factory with Heisenberg and then going uh, the castle with Lady D and then Morose being like my like uh, not least favorite. But I think in my opinion, the um like least fleshed out part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I absolutely loved Heisenberg's part. And, I you know, there's a whole controversy behind. Heisenberg's bought like enemy types and uh, the creator of uh, Frankenstein's army where he's, you know, making, you know, I won't say it, like legitimate claims because, you know, that's obviously for whatever legal recourse to come out. But there are definitely strong parallels between Heisenberg's enemy types and um, the enemy, you know, the enemies in uh, Frankenstein's, the twenty thirteens Frankenstein's army. Uh, you know, that's obviously not a here nor there kind of thing, but. I, I love the, the 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 designs if they were inspired, uh, you know, by the, the film. That's great. Uh, they're just really good looking enemy types. And Ivan, you know, greatly enjoyed his section and his boss. And it was nice too to have the kind of final section of the game have more enemy types in it because Moreau doesn't have a lot of enemies. Donna doesn't really have a lot of enemies. You know, Lady D has some enemies, but it's mostly a collection of mini boss fights where Heisenberg's is a good, I think, the best mix of normal enemies and mini-bosses. Mm. So, overall, I, I greatly enjoyed
1: um, the uh, his area of the game. Uh, Matthew? Uh, I agree. Um, I absolutely loved Heisenberg.
3: I think he was probably one of the funnest and most interesting characters in this game. Uh, I like that early on in the game, even between the other lords that they kind of hint at, like... His um, loyalty is questionable. Like They give us the little hints early on in the game that he might not be all about what's happening with Mother Miranda as well as Rose. Um, you know, we get little tidbits of him here and there as we go through the other bosses, basically saying that he's like, oh, I'm impressed you got this far, and you know what, I think you'd be a really good asset, and I have no interest in supporting Miranda to this point, but he had a comic element about it that was really good, too. Because you knew the character was serious. He had his own set of goals. He wanted to be in control. He wanted power. He was making his own army to take Miranda down. But at the same time, his interactions with Ethan up to that part were just absolutely fantastic. Um, Like Jesse said, it's the first time we've actually seen, I think, a villain want to interact with the main character to the point that they actually would support each other towards an ultimate goal. Um, the whole Frankenstein's like, uh, castle kind of thing. Absolutely loved it. I think he was the right character for it too. The enemy types were fun. Um, I liked the location. It was a labyrinth. It's what it was supposed to be. It's a big area. It takes some time and backtracking can be difficult. And the boss fight was unique. Mm. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It's not what most people would have probably expected. Absolutely. I get that. But for what it was worth based off the character and what he was meant to be, I think it was a good conclusion to his part. And, of course, we get one of the best one-liners in the game during that fight. <laughs> Boulder-punching asshole.
1: Yeah, I completely <laughs> forgot
2: about that, actually. Just before you do fight with Hasenberg, uh, with you get this uh, really interesting scene with Chris Redfield where he basically gives a bit of exposition about what is going on with Mia, with the village, with Mother Miranda. And um, I think this has been Chris's best portrayal since probably Resident Evil Remake,
1: thinking about it. Yeah, I can agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. He was... uh, uh, Yeah, no. uh, Chris
0: was, you know, like, it was interesting um, to, you know, get the, the full backstory. You know, Chris is kind of rogue, broke, you know, taking a team from the BSAA to kind of investigate Miranda on his own. Um, So, you know, at the end of the day, like, even though, you know, like you learn in hindsight that Chris's motives were still good guy motives and he wasn't, you know, like literally killing Ethan's wife, um, you know, he still was a dark, you know, you don't expect like Chris to kind of go rogue like that. You know, when we see Chris go on his own in six, like it's in the complete opposite direction where he just cuts himself off from that more military, like militaristic lifestyle versus and village. Like he goes, like, like I said, the complete opposite and goes into more of like guerrilla warfare tactics at that point. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was really interesting to see Chris portrayed as that. And then to hear him and Ethan's interactions there, um, which, you know, that, that scene leads into, you know, the Heisenberg boss fight. Yeah. Uh, and then during the boss fight you know chris blows up heisenberg's factory um which was really cool because i i honestly would have wanted to see maybe a playable section of that as chris like chris kind of running through the factory having to plant explosives or something um but no the, the, but all in all like that scene between chris and ethan was really really well done uh chris's betrayal here like both his appearance Um, and the voice acting later on, you know, the whole package was just absolutely
1: phenomenal.
2: Mm. Mm. Yeah, no. And again, we had an early suspicion. We only had two words to go. Sorry, Ethan. And from when he said that back of what, what our summer was like, man, that's chef shine.
5: Shop on eBay this holiday season to get more for your dough on stand mixers. Mm -hmm or get more for your buck on this season's hottest tech and gaming gear. And on eBay, you can even get more (gasps) bling for less cha-ching on jewelry. You can get more because you save more on premium brands with eBay's exclusive deals. Get
4: more when you get it on eBay. golfing, and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com.
1: 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with carrier. Products sold separately.
2: And uh, our our uh, our theories were confirmed. It is indeed Jeff Shine. I opted not to use uh, Mr. Vaughn?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, I can't.
2: Can't remember what his first name is, but but the, the, the character from Resident Evil 7, Redfield. And uh, a little bit of a shout-out to, to JJ from Resident Evil, of Evil, who actually says that this is the first game where Chris, is, Chris has a team and none of them are massacred. So
1: yeah. huge props to Chris
2: Redfield for, uh, for not losing anyone in this mission.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it was actually interesting to see Chris keep a, a whole team alive this time. Uh,
2: but, you know, ha-
0: well, actually going into that, you know, like then, after the heisenberg fight you know we kind of get the little scene between um ethan and miranda where you know she proceed you know from i guess first-time player perspective you know proceeds to kill ethan by you know ramming her hand through his chest you know resident evil 5 wesker style and pulls out his heart um uh, which collapses which leads back into another chris scene where he's speaking to somebody like not on his team about what is going on you know in the current situation uh which was really interesting because like i said that's where you get the most backstory of why you know they were following miranda why they you know broke into the the winter's home and what's led to that point which you know leads into chris's section of the game which was too short for me like Mm. i love chris's portion of the game like it, it, uh, Chris is like is funny that Jeff shine has done both Chris and Carlos because his portions of both games are kind of the same to me um, it's the more action oriented part of the game but also the shortest part of the game uh, and I, I'm sure that's a um, you know an intentional thing but I maybe wanted to see just a little bit more of Chris running through the village I honestly not just Chris running through the village I wanted to see more of the team's interaction like you're led to believe that the team is, you know, off in the background supporting you. But I honestly would have, I know it's, it would have been more Call of Duty esque. Um, but it would have actually been kind of cool to maybe see like one or two of the team members, like either fighting in the distance or maybe one of them following you around, kind of doing their own thing, even if they weren't overall effective against the Lycans. But it, it would have been cool to see a little bit more team interaction or even with, you know, you're, you're told the BSAA is in the area and you see their helicopters and you hear that there's BSAA guards on the ground, but you don't see anybody. You know, it, it's just you and a wall of lichens in front of you. Um, maybe. That would be neat.
2: Maybe. Like, an introductory fight to Miranda, Miranda, even if it was a brief, like, skirmish. Like, just, just something where Chris has kind of his own little boss fight. It just didn't It's again, similar to Carlos in RE3. Just I know Carlos has the whole like uh, of the cabin sequence from RE4 up uh, with the shutters, but yeah, he really yeah, didn't I feel like mean, he, he had kinda,
0: it. Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of have that, that hold off sequence with the target designator mm. where you know you're fighting the waves in in between recharges. And then, I mean, Chris, the closest thing he has to a boss fight is fighting big ham, you know, armored hammer bro. Like, right before you get to, the, like, the final, you know, Chris, you know, real Chris scene. Um, but, yeah, like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't want the whole game to be a Chris section. I just, maybe 20, 30 more minutes of playtime is Chris. Or maybe, like, a little bit more to do past the village. Because once you leave that final, like, little mini-boss, it's all on rails from there. Like, you know, you walk down the path, you see the giant... Mutamycin spore where you plant the, the you know the explosive um and then you walk a little bit further and you you know you get to read some of the i think the most interesting files of the game, um which shows you know like that Spencer was involved with Miranda back in the day, like almost like a love interest kind of thing, but hmm. you know two evil mad scientists falling in love and then falling apart um but yeah, but like the rest of like I would say the last. 15 20 percent of Chris's campaigns all on rails in cutscene, hmm. which I think is is slightly unfortunate. Like I said, I, I don't want Resident Evil, Call of Duty, but I think I could have. I think I could have easily stomached another t- twenty or thirty minutes of a a, a Chris run through of the game.
2: Yeah, no, ag- agreed. It was certainly the more action element of the game, uh, and again. This is where you had the biggest twist and something which I did not see coming at all. This hit me so far out of left field, it literally questioned my entire Resident Evil 7 playthrough. It made me go back and think, hmm, how does this, does this make sense? Does this make sense? Um, and again, fingers in your ears, feel free to tune out right now if you don't want to hear it. But three, two, one Ethan was dead Resident Evil Seven, and actually is infected by the Moulded Resident Evil Eight, which explains why his arm was managed to his arm managed to be reattached. It's why he it, when he ripped his hand on the hook, it healed back. Um, that was huge. Oh my god, that took me on a massive. I don't, I don't know about you, Matt. What what, what was you, what was you thinking when that line was blurted out by Mia?
3: Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I had I had an idea that there was more than meets the eye to Ethan, especially with him being the protagonist for this game. And I I knew there was going to be connection with him and Rose, Mia, his daughter, what happened at the Baker house. Um, But to know that he was dead upon arrival, that the entire time you were playing seven, you were a mold. And the absolute fact that like to learn it in that scene within seconds of him waking up, we get to see Evelyn again. That was big for me. Like, I was not expecting to see Evelyn. And she just pieced it together. He was dead. Literally. Jack punched him and his humanity was gone. And then we gotta think at some point with him getting out of the car and getting towards the actual mansion that he was infected. At some point during that time, within the minutes that he was involved before he was killed by Jake um Jack, um, he was infected by the mold.
1: So that was a big shocker. Jesse, what? Just on that point about him, him being infected, I didn't pick up on that actually.
2: Um, what, what? What's your thoughts?
0: So, so, kind of the running theory, even before Village came out, was you know Ethan's ability to reattach limbs in Seven is never really fully explained. Um, like, as far as like gameplay goes, like there's some like deeper lore, some hints and stuff you get, like. Um. It's never exactly said when Ethan is infected but what kind of the popular theory is is that you know you enter the home you go down the same path that Andre and all of them took um and when you go downstairs there's the flooded part of the basement where you know you're walking through and Andre's body pops out of the water and he's semi you know rotten semi like moldy um the the big jacket or excuse me the 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 big um Thought there is that that's the point where Ethan is first infected with the mutamycin, um, And then from there, like, you know, you proceed the boss fight with Mia where she cuts off your arm with the chainsaw. And then, you know, Jack, you know, punches shit out of you. You black out, you wake up and you're at the dinner table with your hand stitched back on. Because, um, you know, a lot of people was like, well, that never really made sense. Like the Resident Evil universe hasn't really been set for first aid of any kind to be able to reattach body parts. Um, but the one thing that explained it the best that Ethan is infected in seven is the optional scene you can get, depending on how slow you are getting down into the, um, into the uh, little crawl space under the house during your first run through with Jack is when Jack, if Jack cuts your leg off with the shovel, like Jack will give you a first aid. And, you know, basically tells you, like, I don't remember the exact words, but basically explains that you have Evelyn's gift, you know, which is the mold infection. You can be able to reattach, hand, you know, limbs similar to um, how uh, Lucas did, you know, like Jack, like cuts his arm off at the dinner table. And then by the next time you see Lucas, his hands are reattached or Jack blows his head off and, you know, it, it grows, you know, grows back uh, right after the car scene. So. There's there's subtle hints all throughout Resident Evil Seven that you are infected with the mold, like even with the the um, the scenes with Evelyn, or or the scene with uh, Jack and Marguerite and all of them were, or not Jack and Marguerite, Jack and Zoe were. You know, Jack's pleading with Ethan, save my family. Um, that kind of in hindsight gets explained in Village a little bit because uh, Miranda makes a. Uh, remarked that the mutamycine catalogs all. Like, the mutamycine is kind of almost a hive mind. So, you know, when Ethan was trapped in the mold during um, Mia's playthrough play portion of the game, and is having that kind of flashback, like, not necessarily like a weird dream sequence, it's literal, he's in the mold's hive mind, along with mm-hmm. Jack and Zoe, which are both infected and both alive at that point, because, you know, like you're led to believe that jack dies in the boathouse encounter but then you find out later on in the uh end of zoe dlc that jack was still very much alive uh so you know like all of those like pieces kind of form together to tell the story of ethan's infection without anybody ever bluntly saying it till evelyn comes along in village you know four years after this journey first came and she's like oh yeah by the way dude like (laughs) you've been you've been dead these past four years like you know you know, which again, like, kind of explains the notes in in um uh, the 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 winters home, like Rose being a fourteen pound baby, like when we heard that back during the playtest rumors, like that automatically was a red flag. You know, like who who in the hell has a fourteen pound baby? You know, but it, it's obviously, you know, kind of you, know, you see the notes all over the house where it's like, Oh yeah, no, the baby's fine, there's no infection there. Um, uh, which leads me to still believe though that you know somebody's doctor was not being on the up and up with me and Ethan and it's even very apparent that Mia like knows that Ethan's infected whether you know you're kind of led to believe that Ethan has no idea that he is infected even though it should be weird to him that he can just put arms and legs back on no problem so it's it's a it's, it's an interesting you know kind of story to come and you know have to sift through to get like all of these pieces you know, that, that ends up with, you know, like, oh, Ethan was infected the whole time. Because, you know, like I said, we knew in the first in seven that Mia was obviously infected because, you know, we chop her in the neck. You know, we watch her reheal. We watch her come back to life. Um, and I think that there's a nut- there's a little scene that was part of the hack that didn't make the final game. Uh, but the whole carriage ride with the Duke after you wake up from this you know, kind of semi hallucination with Evelyn. Um, in the hack, that, that same scene, like when you're in the back of the Duke's carriage and he's taking you to go fight Miranda for the last time. Um, in the hack scene of that, the D-series machine from Resident Evil 7 is actually present. And, you know, the Duke says something about me, like, you know, like, like, and this actually explains like how Duke and Mia know each other. Or at least, his, you know, like tie in with the connections where he's like, oh, you know, Mia left like a secret in your wedding ring. And you see Ethan in that cutscene, scene, like actually take his wedding ring off and stick it in the D-series machine and it makes a mutamite, you know, a E-series vaccine, you know, which obviously didn't make the final game. But I think it would have been, I don't know if that was a direction of Ethan was going to inject Rose at the end and make her completely normal, like no mold infection or if he'd have done it to himself or how that would have played out. Um, but I think that scene in and of itself kind of would have, further driven home the point of Ethan being infected. Um, so it is kind of unfortunate that that element was cut out. Cause like I said, I think that would have helped elaborate Ethan being infected, the Duke's position in the story a little bit more, as well as Mia knowing more than what she led on at, you know, up until that point
1: um, in seven and in the village. Hmm. What was your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, no, I agree. Um,
3: I love the way it connected everything. Um, it, honestly, you can literally go back to 7 now, watch certain cutscenes and certain aspects, and it's completely different from if you hadn't played Village. A lot more makes sense. Uh, Ethan's role, as well as everything that happens from the initial Baker house up till meeting Miranda make a lot more sense. Um, the only thing I didn't really truly understand was now, at the point we're playing in seven. If I'm correct, Chris is still part of blue umbrella. Is that correct? He's
0: on loan from the BSAA to blue umbrella. Okay. Like after, after umbrella falls, like, and this, like you have to kind of know the story of umbrella core to get it's... the full context of it. <laughs> Obviously most people don't, don't know the whole full, the full story of umbrella core, but Basically, after the fall of Umbrella, some of the um, heads of the different Umbrella factions got together and was like, oh, well, we want to show that we can be good guys. So they formed Blue Umbrella, which was basically a more militant version of the BSAA.
5: History shows
0: America rises to every challenge it faces. Every challenge makes us stronger. We're Americans, we find a way. At Kaufman Funeral Home, we give thanks to God for living in the greatest nation on earth. Take comfort in knowing when you need us, we'll be here for you. We'll put your family's needs first. Kaufman Funeral Home and Crematory, Frontier Drive in Stanton, online at KauffmanFuneralHome.net. You know with a lot more money obviously and a lot more backing um so the bsaa is in inve- or excuse me um blue umbrellas investigating the connections like you know whether that's to you know end up being nefarious in the end or not is you know to be seen mm-hmm. uh, but basically blue umbrella contacted the bsaa and was like hey we need your best guy to come help us with this thing in louisiana and the bsaa is like oh we'll take chris redfield he's like the literally the best guy we got I'm sure there was some probably internal dialogue with the umbrella heads and they're like, oh, this
1: fucking guy. Uh, <laughs> so but yeah, that's, that's, my, why, uh, that's the That's only thing why that I could question. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just
0: saying that's why he was with Blue Umbrella in, in seven was because he was okay. on loan.
3: See, the but, only thing that I'm questioning is at this point. So we know since the Baker house up to village that that scene with Rose and them in the house and her cooking, it's been. Three years. Now, we're told later on that BSSA knew about Miranda, at least to some extent. They knew about the village to some extent. Um, They were monitoring the situation. So it's obvious that they knew Miranda was the one that came into the house and replaced Mia. I just, I don't understand how it got to this point if they knew what the actual plan was. Or did they actually know what the plan was?
0: I'm not sure. Like... You can tell, like, from the way Chris talks, it sounds like, like, you know, obviously he's gone rogue from the BSA. Like, it looks like after 7, like, that whole, when the Dolby case was closed, he goes back to the BSAA, and the BSAA is currently investigating, like, where the connections got the mold from in the first place. Mm -hmm. And in that time, like, Chris finds out that this Miranda woman is behind it. And it seems like maybe the BSA is like, well, yeah, like this sounds right, but like we don't want to do anything about it yet. And Chris is like, no, like fuck this. Like we need to do something now. Um, yeah. I think I forget it's in one of I can't remember what I think it's in the um the bakery. There's incident. a letter. Yeah, where like for some reason Zoe gets a letter that was supposed to go to Chris where the BSA is telling him to stand down. You know, they're like, "Hey, like, you know, I get like you're one of the founders of the BSAA, but like, we don't want to get involved in this yet." And Chris is basically like, "Fuck you guys! I'm going to take my best team, and we're going to go do our own thing." Mm, yeah, um, yeah, like that was that was really. In- you know, like I said, like I I really liked seeing Chris like not follow orders, like you know, <laughs> mm. what- and kind of Finally. giving the finger to the authority.
2: One thing I didn't understand was Chris, because uh, it is very evident that. You know, it was, it's kind of Chris's fault that they've been caught up in this. Uh, Mia said, Chris, we, we, we followed what you said. We moved away. What I don't understand. Is why did they, why did Chris move them away closer to the village? That makes no sense.
0: I think Chris used them as bait the whole time. What to get, well, I, I yeah. yeah, I think, I think at the end of the day, I think in from Chris's perspective, he's like, Miranda's nothing that we can't handle he's like so they're never going to be in a harm's way you know so he, like I think Chris looked at it from the standpoint is like I'm gonna tell them, I'm gonna keep them safe give them a false sense of security move mm-hmm. them closer to I can so I can draw Miranda out mm-hmm. but obviously at some point that fell through because Miranda was able to you know the way it, at least it appears that it plays out is that Miranda somehow swapped places with Mia at some point under Chris's nose. Like we're not led to like, at least the impression that I got was that until the very end, you know, like until the home invasion sequence, like we I don't think Chris actually realized until later that Miranda had replaced herself with or replaced Mia with herself.
2: Did, did they fill like, that in? The, did they, did, did he, did he explain like at what point he was like, hang on a minute. You're not I,
0: I, I don't think it's like it from like unless I missed something or it was something really minor, like I don't think so. I think it's you know, kind of behind the scenes, like you know, they've been watching over the winter's household and they're like, okay, everything's you know business as usual. Then one day they're like, wait, something's up here. I think Miranda is now or Mia is now Miranda, and then they figured it out. But I don't think that, that was ever part of Chris's plan. Like, I think Chris thought That they could move the Winters there, draw Miranda out, and deal with Miranda before the Winter, like, maybe even before the Winters even knew anything about it. And then one day, like, Chris realizes they fucked up, and Miranda's now, like, literally sitting on the couch next to Ethan, and God knows where Mia's at.
3: See, That's one part that I'm confused about that doesn't seem to make sense. Later in the game, after you did the boss fight with Chris and he's talking over the radio to his teammates, one of the questions that's when he's going through the um, going through the cave is how did Miranda find out about Rose? And even Chris and the other characters say that's something we can look into later. So they had no idea that Miranda was interested in Rose at that point or how she found her in the first place. So I'm trying to figure out how they got to that location with wanting to, you know, date Miranda, I think.
0: I don't know if that's more Chris lying or like, I don't know. I got the impression that Chris actually knew what was going on with that. And it just, you know, like hush, hush kind of thing. Like, you know, I'll tell you when it's appropriate, but I think like if it's not explained, I think Miranda knows about Rose. Cause again, like I, you know, I don't want to say it's obviously apparent, but I think it's very suspect. And, maybe a parent that there's something not right with Rose as a child being a 14 pound baby. Um, you know, knowing that the mutamycine is like this hive network kind of deal. Like I think, you know, from the second, like Rose was conceived, you know, with Ethan being infected from seven up until this point, like Miranda's obviously, I think, you know, been aware of Ethan's existence this whole time. She's mm-hmm. been kind of like, Oh, you know, like I'll just, you know, keep an eye on him. Cause I know he exists. And then when it comes time, um, you know, for Rose to be born, you know, she gets like a little blip in the uh, mutamycine radar where it's like, oh, wait, hold on. There's something new here. You know, so I think I think like Miranda immediately knew when Rose was you know conceived or born like, at some point of, you know, early on in Rose's infancy or birth or whatever, like Miranda became aware that Rose existed and became her next target. And I honestly believe, like Chris, um, Chris knew, like yeah. that, that, like that she could have done that. And I, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I just really feel like Chris used the Winters as bait to draw Miranda out.
3: Yeah, that makes sense because at the end of seven, you're you're meant to think that the mold is done because Evelyn is gone. But the fact is, she's not the source of it. So everything is just the same as it was. Ethan's the same as he was at the end of seven. So that makes a lot of sense. That you know, if she was born. She could tell the potential of this this newborn. She understood the plan, what she wanted to do. She was like, this is perfect. This is what I need to do. And at some point, Chris and them were aware of the Metamice. Because cause they, they said in the game that there was other locations that there were outbreaks, but none of them as quick as this one. So that just leads you to believe that there are other incidents happening around the world involving this.
0: Yeah, and they also say, too, like, they're like, oh, this doesn't have, like, the same genome as the, you know, the, like the mold in, in Louisiana, they're like, this is the source of the mold. Like they confirmed, yeah. you know, like they knew that this was like, you know, the home base for it. Uh, so, yeah. So like, you know, like I said, like I, Chris blows, like presses it off is like, we can talk about that later. um, But I, again, like, I think that's kind of a smoke and mirrors thing. I think Chris knew what was going on the whole time and was like, it's i think like the way chris acts in this is it was like a capture miranda at any you know using any means necessary like whether that means not telling ethan things not telling his team things i think chris was so focused on stopping miranda that he you
3: know underestimated them yeah
0: yeah and like played a lot of stuff close to the chest and even like during the the assault on the village through his, you know, through the alpha team. Like, I think he was still playing things very close to the
1: chest. And obviously the ending of resident village where it has Rose all grown up and, uh, you see, uh, give pay respects to a father's tombstone. And uh, there's a sinister being in the distance. (laughs) (laughs) Are we going to talk about that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, which is uh, an interesting little thing for those of you who have beaten the game and you're not aware um, Mm -hmm. in the final section, like it's a very annoyingly precise time thing. Um, But in the final cutscene of the game, you can actually go into photo mode pan the camera around where the vehicle stops and you can see somebody standing in front of it and if you pan it the right way you can see a man standing in front of the uh in front of the vehicle suspiciously missing a couple of fingers off of one hand mm-hmm. um, you know so even maybe after all that his the the father's story might not be done after all
1: mm. of course it could
3: be miranda too
2: <laughs> oh
3: no well, that, I mean, there's uh, a lot going on
2: there yeah you, you're not wrong there because it does it does say his story
1: comes to a close so that may well be another Miranda-esque being
0: how interesting would that be you know plot twist like it almost like what is that? Is it Terminator Salvation like where uh the guy thinks he's a real human, but it turns out the whole time he was a Terminator. Is that Terminator Salvation. Uh,
3: sh- that's Salvation. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, that's Salvation. Well, I, I mean, Ethan is basically this the whole time. Like he's you know fighting BOWs, and then the plot twist is him himself is a BOW. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would be interesting. Like I, I mean, you know, obviously this is way out in the speculation territory now, but you know we see this scene of Ethan, looks like Ethan's back and like he's like, yeah guys, like, I don't know what happened, like it came back, you know no, it's 16 years later, but like I'm alive and then turns out, nope it's just, you know, like a weird maybe unaware clone of Ethan with something nefarious going on, I think that would. Like, I know that's way out in speculation yeah. left field, but I think it'd be fun to see. But
2: this, yeah. is, this is where it gets interesting if you had
1: told me Whilst I was playing Village and Resident Evil Seven. Oh, by the way, Ethan's dead. It's not so far out of left field. Yeah. Yeah. What what I thought was interesting was
0: Rose and the agent, their interactions. And like one of the little dialogues between the agent and somebody on his headpiece. Like you see Rose, you know, on the bus, it looks like she's by herself. You know, you see, you know, a couple of other people sitting on the bus or whatever. Um, you know, she goes to her father's headstone and you know, SUV pulls up, and you know, the guy's like, Oh, you know, hey, you know, evil, you know, calls her evil and pisses her off. And you know, she you delivers the line about, uh, you know, I'll, you know, I can do things that even Chris doesn't know I can do, like implying that, you know, she obviously has some kind of, she still has a connection with the mold and she has some kind of, you know, like power involving that. Um, but what was what was interesting about that is you're led to believe that like Evelyn met, or excuse me, Rose might lead some kind of interesting life or like uh, like unconnected life to to what's going on with like bioterrorism and stuff. But after she throws the agent up against the car, you hear somebody on the headset say, you know, like, hey, we got a clean shot if you need us to take her out. And he's like, Oh, no, no, I can handle it. Which means that like Rose is always followed. Like it wasn't that somebody showed up, you know, to pick her up. Like she's literally got somebody following her all the time, ready to, you know, deliver a kill shot if necessary. Yeah, because you know, like you're not led to believe that there's anybody other than that one agent with the SUV. But then you hear him cu- get called over the red, ra- you know, the radio, implying that somebody's you know been following the whole time, ready to take a shot if if necessary. So whoever Rose is with, obviously, still sees her as a potential potential danger at some point.
2: It's probably Just not out, the hell boy part. <laughs> it's, the, it's probably not out the realms and possibility that, you know, there's kind of like this other world or outer world, which Ethan was speaking with Jack. Is he speaking with Jack? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Ethan was speaking with Jack. He was speaking with Evelyn. It's not out of the realms of possibility that maybe Rose also can tap into that outer world. And maybe that's how she speaks to her dad.
0: It's it's possible. Like it, it's an interesting theory. You know, like at the same time though, like maybe it doesn't explain why she would go visit his gravesite though. Like if yes. you could, like, like you know, I'm just like basically like go to you know go into a dream state and be able to talk to your dad, like. What would be the point of going to his tombstone, unless it was like oh, maybe a symbolic? Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I
2: think that does crush that a little bit.
3: Um, yes, especially if the mice scene was supposedly destroyed at the end of Village, then there'd
1: be a, the connection would be cut anyway. So yeah, but that's interesting, you know, because there's obviously like a, you know a big
0: jump of time. I've seen. Oh, I, I say that there's obviously a big jump in time because I do know there's a little bit of debate out there of, you know, does Rose age quickly because of the mutamycine or does she, you know, or is this like an actual jump in time? Um, and I think, honestly, it's the latter just because, like, you know, she talks about being a university and stuff like even if she ages faster than a normal person would like, you know, because obviously Evelyn was able to age very rapidly. Um, I don't think she would be in university doing stuff like it's I don't know. It's set up to maybe where she has like somewhat of a normal life. So, you know, I don't think she would be doing university if she was, you know, like six weeks old, regardless, Mm. you know, regardless of how fast she grew because of because I actually a, a good point to that is Evelyn went from like a small child to a 90 year old looking woman. But maintain the mental capacity of a child, mm-hmm. where we're led to believe that Rose seems very cognitive, very young adult-ish. Like you know, it, it seems apparently just because Evelyn age like Evelyn aged rapidly, but stayed a child mentally. Where Rose seems well more put, way more put together as a person. Um, definitely like acts appropriate for her age range so i think there's like an actual like legitimate um time jump between the end of village and the the epilogue um mm. uh, so you know i i know like i said like you know who knows but it also like it makes also it makes it sound like her and chris have trained a lot as well too so i think kind of that all kind of leads to there being a time jump versus mm. she ages rapidly. She might actually still like age more quickly than the average person would because of the mutamycine. But yeah, you know, I don't think it's like a six month gap. I think there's at least a 12 to or more than 12. I'd probably say 16 to 18 year old time gap but between the end th- of village. This, and- this
2: also makes Chris in his late sixties.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which I think would explain why he's not on screen.
2: Yeah. That would have been that would have been like the scene out of fucking Avengers. Old Captain America. And he's like maybe that's what he said. He was like, you know, oh, do you want to come to Ethan's grave? He's like, no, I don't think I will. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, obviously that is that is the the overall story arc in a nutshell. We did have some extra bits and pieces after the game. Mercenary mode making a return. Um, only single player this time around
1: yeah
0: which I, I'm not too upset with with the play style I don't think a two player first person mercenaries would translate like, especially with how different this mer- like this is like if mercenaries in raid mode had a baby mm. so I don't think the this style of mercenaries would have worked co-op um, you know obviously like If they would have maybe maintained more of the four, five and six style mercenaries mechanics, I think it would have worked in first person. But I don't think with the um, the style
1: of mercenaries they did this time around would have worked co-op. What about yourself, Matt? Uh, I would honestly say uh, there's definitely. At least in my my personal
3: opinion, there's definitely a high level of replayability. Um, I love the fact that, you know, we got all the artwork, all the additions to figurines like classic games normally do. There's plenty of unlocks, plenty of weapons to upgrade and purchase. Um, I mean, this game specifically, I think, has the most achievements in any Resident Evil game we've seen so far, if I can be thorough with that. And, um the obviously the biggest one of speculation right now is the the uh, difficulty of Village of Shadows, which for most people that don't know, it's basically like Inferno mode of three where there's some additional enemies, but most of the stuff is in the same location. It's just it's not a game you want to play unless you're doing like a new game plus kind of thing. It's good. It feels like it has everything it needs. Um, The story is good. It's a long playthrough. Um, it keeps you coming back for more. It ends well, and it rewards you. So...
2: Oh, there were five. I was also really
3: impressed. Oh, yeah. I was really impressed with the weapon system, too, because when we originally got, like, the um, the collector's edition, stuff like that, it showed, showed, like, a show like showed a case of, like, seven different weapons. And because we played seven, I was thinking, okay, we're only going to get, like, five, six different type of weapons throughout the whole game. But I was pleasantly surprised to know just how many there were. There were dozens. So... A lot of customization, um, a lot of incentive to do all kinds of different treasure hunting as well as puzzles. It it
1: really wants you, this is definitely a completionist game. No, yeah, I would agree with that. So
2: now that we've spoken about the the story and and some of the, the gameplay elements, let's talk about the ports, how the ports performed. Um, obviously, I spent my time playing the uh, the Series S version of Resident Evil which, which performs extremely well. I had no, literally, I had no problem, no problems with frame rate. Held a solid frame rate the entire way through, and uh, yeah. And what was really cool, actually, and again, this is new to next gen, is that I turned my I turned my Series S off on like the Friday, and then I come back to play finish the game on the Sunday. And I literally just pressed the power button, zoomed straight into the game. No saves, nothing like that. Seamless. And it worked like the, the, the gameplay was seamless. There was no loading times at all, really, uh, from what I remember. Really fluid and seamless experience. $250, uh, 250 hundred fifty pound console, dollar console. Um, what about you, Jesse? What was your experiences?
1: Uh, what port did you play?
0: For my first couple of playthroughs, I played you know, the Steam port of the game, um, you know, running a, you know, higher end graphics card, uh, i7 processor. So I, I I thought, you know, the game looked just absolutely fantastic. And uh, the special thing was I've been playing the, the Google Stadia port of it, which I've had a lot of issues with, like, for whatever reason, like the game just runs like, in, or not runs, but looks like garbage on my PC. But have have a lot better experience on um on tvs in my house with it but running it on uh, the tv in my living room uh which is a 4k 60 fps uh display uh the game looks gorgeous on google stadia which i was really surprised by um uses a like if you have a, a metered internet connection like i obviously recommend to stay away from stadia because it just chews through data because, you know, you're streaming the game like you would a YouTube video. Um, but all in all, the the port, I was really impressed with it. It, has, it doesn't have as many options in, in the settings as I would like. I think they could have done a little bit more there because the settings are more dumbed down than even console port is. Um, but all in all, really good port. Uh, looks beautiful, like I said, if you're running it on 4K or you're running it um, at 1080, 60 FPS. Uh, And the steam version, I know uh, people with better eyes than myself have, you know, had some problems with, you know, some of the aspects of the steam port, Uh, but I thought, you know, looked absolutely gorgeous. Definitely next gen performance and graphics for me. The ray tracing looks amazing. So I I thought like the the ports that I've played it on, I've had played it on any consoles other than Google Stadia. Uh, But like I said, as far as it goes and PC goes, the game looks
1: absolutely phenomenal. Matt, Matt, what was your what was your port and experience? Any issues on my port?
3: Well, well, my, of course, uh, my port was the PC Steam as well. I run a pretty similar setup to Jesse, where it handles the graphics and the game very well. Um, I had no issues. I had no lag time. My latency was fine. The game was absolutely beautiful. It was smooth as butter. The only thing that I noticed was in certain locations when there's more explosions than normal, a lot of the actual explosion flares will turn really bright red. Um, but I wouldn't even consider that a problem with the game. That's the only thing that I noticed. So,
2: so and again, what what is interesting about this is we had a we've we all played it on day one. I don't think we've had any major major issues. Absolutely brilliant. So. They, for, this, for, for that element, I can, I can praise them. Um, but the other element I'm going to talk about now, which is village-related but kind of not, is the lack of REverse and the botched launch of the beta, which, uh, mm. for some reason, they cannot seem to get right. I, I was really disappointed that, that uh, REverse wasn't, wasn't at launch. Um, I think it's penned for a, a sort of summer to fall, really
0: yeah yeah summer
2: so again we're we're gonna try and keep keep everybody up to date with what's going on with it, but it would have been nice once I'd finished the main game you know jump on our reverse and play some multiplayer with some um any reason from your from your knowledge, Jesse, why this is the case and why why they feel the need to go back push it back
0: um i have he- I've heard murmur that it's possibly related to cross play that the reason why the the beta like the beta test had such bad issues is they were trying to implement cross play on live servers uh obviously there's nothing to back that up uh, But I've heard murmurs of that or who knows I mean you know might just be other um uh, elements keeping it from releasing right now I think if if it's not cross play like cap or Capcom and um neobars really need to bring something really special to the table um with a summer release because i think if there's nothing like overly special at it at really you know like if now that it's not releasing with village i think it'll be dead in the water because i think village would have been the thing to keep people interested in it so uh, like i said we might uh, hopefully we'll see some cross play when it when it fully releases if not you know i'm still gonna play it i like i love playing the betas of it i think it was a really fun time but i think Capcom if like I said if there's nothing special come summertime I think we're going to see another uh resistance kind of launch for this where it it doesn't fare too well.
2: I I'm just going to come out outright and say it if the game is not crossplay it will be dead on arrival. I think you know in 2021 there's no reason it's almost become industry standard. It's almost like then putting fucking Resident Evil, Resident Evil Village on cartridge, you know, like, like an N sixty four game. You know we're we way past that. We're way past unnecessarily splitting up the servers for each platform. Let find let us look past that. It should be you know multiplayer gaming without borders. Um, and I just I, I really hope if if they if they are spending more time working out all the kinks of our reverse. I'm hoping that there'll be no issues on launch because resistance did have so many issues. Um, I I really, really did end up affecting the game and and really killed it, to be honest, Um, from balancing issues, obviously lack of cross play, um, the, the, the server, um, elastic band effect because servers were here. Oh, it's just absolutely, absolutely insane at some point. So, I'm really hoping they get it right.
1: Um, did you manage to play Ariva?
3: Uh, I played for a very small portion. I think I actually did maybe like a handful of rounds. Um, most of my time was spent watching other people enjoy it and people getting to use it. But also the game was down for maintenance quite often. And there was a lot of times that were just really conflicting with most people's schedules during the day. So it was it was kind of difficult at some points to get a good, you know, a uh, a good review of what we've seen so far. Because what we've noticed, or at least what I've been told, is there was nothing that was added new from the original beta up to the one that we had gotten a couple weeks ago. So whatever they had changed or worked on was definitely, you know, like with the maintenance or back end of the game or its compatibility. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were having trouble, you know, with like cross-plaid or so on and so forth. But... From the portions that I did play, I did enjoy it. It's fast-paced. It's fun. I think it'll be a really enjoyable game once you can actually get in a lobby and start a team with people that you know. But at the same time, that has me really worried about if it'll be successful now that it's not recent, releasing without Village. So we'll just we'll just have to see. Hopefully they'll throw more effort into it now that it's its own singular thing. But that's a lot to ask.
0: Well, I think regardless, it'll still be a fun little Little
3: wind down game, yeah. Well, we'll throw, we'll throw plenty of time at it.
2: <laughs> thank you to everyone who's tuned in today for this uh, episode of the podcast. Um, I, again, the games, the game was absolutely fantastic recently. Yeah, keep up to date. Hopefully, we'll get some DLC uh, later on in the year, but we remain hopeful. Uh, in the meantime, uh, smash out all of them. Additional modes, get everything unlocked. Get the, uh, get the uh, platinum trophy if you're on PS5. And uh, yeah, another fantastic uh, Capcom release. Well done.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm. Take it easy, everyone. Look after yourselves. We'll be with you. We'll be with you some more streaming very shortly. Bye, everybody.